The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweet Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. And welcome once again to the Talking Space Podcast. I am Sawyer Rosenstein. With me is Gina Herlihy. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Sawyer. Mark Ratterman, welcome yourself. It's good to be back. Great to have you with us. And we are proud to welcome back once again a man who actually has a voice and is no longer sick, Gene McCulka. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Glad to hear that you're doing better and you're not plagued by, as you, rock teacher Jan and myself call it, the Kermit. Yes, the, I, I sounded like uh, like a really, really bad frog, and that's what I we kind of nicknamed it. So um, it was it was it was a bad stretch, but uh, glad to be back. All right, so let's jump right into this because in the time that we've been off the air, there have been some amazing things that have happened. The first is actually what occurred on this recording date, Friday, November thirteenth. The results were finally announced from the L-Cross impact on the moon back on October 9th, and they found, quote, a significant amount of water on the moon. They figured out in the plume that occurred, they found at least 25 gallons of water. And this is an amazing thing. So what do you guys think about this? This has some serious implications for the future of of exploration in plain English. I mean, your fuel source is right there. I mean, if you need hydrogen, it's right there. So you can literally press on from, use the moon as a staging post, literally, to press on through the rest of the solar system if you really want to. Also, it has uh, some implications for colonization as well. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the just just the implications are enormous, or just absolutely enormous. And I am seriously right now have a towel and I'm wiping the egg off my face because when I first heard a talk about this in the early '90s, me and a, a co- and a colleague of mine that were uh, running a planetarium at the time, we kind of looked at each other and said, "There's no way there can't be that much water there." Surprise! So I am, you know, wiping the egg off my face here. Uh, the other thing, too, which I found kind of neat is Google and their infinite, infinite wisdom. If somebody would just goes over there right now and browses to Google how they have their little logo and they always make those little changes and so on, depending on what's happened, they actually have an L-Cross logo up there. It's just a picture of the moon with it looks like something smashing into it. And uh, if you press on the Google logo there, it will bring you to a series of links on Elcross. So it, I thought that was kind of kind of neat neat of Google to do that. And today, this story wasn't just covered in technical or science news. This was breaking news on most large media outlets, CNN especially. So I was pleased to see that because it. I mean, this is significant for. <laughs> Earth's population, really, and so I'm I'm glad it got it to do in mainstream press. Yeah, I was listening to NASA TV when they were talking about it, and I I caught a good part of their uh, their press time, and uh, the guys were excited. They were really excited. And it was such a change from when El Cross impacted, and they came out, and the press kept asking them questions. Well, 
well where was the where was the ejecta where was the the big dramatic and and today they had the drama today they had some graphs and they had some things that that they said well this is what we saw and it, they said they've been working around the clock for the past month and uh, I don't doubt it because they and they were trying to prove things out instead of in and they finally got to the point where they couldn't say anything but this is water where's the kaboom it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be an earth-shattering kaboom. That's what we all got, you know. And I think it was just everybody was sort of attuned to Hollywood. But yet this was the day that the real science was issued. And wow, you know, this seriously has some really fantastic implications. Mark, I'm with you. Yeah, actually, um, I was reading somewhere today that they actually mentioned that everybody was really disappointed, um, you know, without the large impact. But this was definitely an impact of its own on everybody. And they were like they wanted a they wanted something big. They got it today, and uh, that's definitely true. I think all of humanity got it today. Wow, just incredible news. Do you guys think that this news will help restart some momentum about NASA getting the funding to get us back to the moon? Help with that cause? What do you think about that? Or is this just sort of another blip in you know what NASA is working on that so many people don't really pay too much attention to? Actually, I was just reading something um, on an article about this from the Associated Press or AP, mm-hmm. and they actually got a quote from someone in an email named Chris Kaiba, a Princeton astrophysicist, mm-hmm. and he said, quote, this news and terrific result reassures us about lunar resources, but the challenges currently facing the human spaceflight program remain. Basically, what they're saying is regardless of what's going on, the, the review panel, um, like the Augustine Commission, they're still saying that no matter what, they still need to go beyond near-Earth orbit and continue towards asteroids and Mars, regardless of the find. And I found that really interesting, that even though they know there's water on the moon, and they're talking about, you know, the implications of it, they're even carrying buckets on the press conference about it to prove their point, and they yet they did. still say that we should go they further. Did? They The guy held up a bucket. Oh, that's too cool. Yes, for a comparison, <laughs> and he's like... Uh, you know, you could get at least twenty-five of these, or something like that. And oh wow, that that I man, I wish I would have seen that. That that's amazing. You know, but Gina, real quick to answer your question, I don't know why, but I think the flexible path just seems to have momentum right now. And you know, I'm hoping that we just don't side skirt this announcement because it does have column, it, it does have implications for a permanent presence. It does have implications for using the moon as a staging post for, you know, trips to Mars and beyond. And if we don't keep that component in there, I think we're going to be making a big mistake. But for some reason or other, I think the flexible path option um, that the Augustine Commission put forth has got some sort of momentum right now. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is going to stop it. I hope you know, I'm I'm a I'm a lunar proponent first. Um, I think we should try to see what we can do there first. So I'm hoping that it, it kind of forestalls some things, but I don't know. It's going to be really, really up to, up to the policymakers right now to go ahead and make that decision. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. it would be a mistake. We can't go back to the moon the way we did Apollo. I mean, to go back and just leave again, when we go back this time, we've got to do it. We've got to stay. stay. We've got to stay. And I think now we've we've got got some resources to play with that we didn't know we had before. So I think that has some implications in that idea to stay. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that honestly, we should go back and we should be staying there. And yet some people don't believe that at all. One person that I was shocked that made a quote today about this was Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin. And uh, he said people overreact to this news and say, let's have a water rush to the moon. It doesn't justify that is what he said, quote unquote. And it's great that, you know, he wants to go on to Mars and an asteroid. But now that we know there's this resource, we actually have a reason to go to the moon and not just uh, plant a flag and make a couple of footsteps. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I love Buzz. I know he's he's pro Mars. And you know I know everybody's saying we've been to the moon before, but this generation hasn't. And can we still do it? Can we get to another uh place in the in in the solar system can we test to make sure our all of our equipment works and i think we've got a pretty good way of doing that going you know going using the moon as a stepping stone for that and uh, i don't know i guess i guess again i love buzz i know he's pro mars but again i think we should try our our, our wet our feet on the moon first no pun intended and then go from the moon and on to mars yeah i would agree with that if i was the president or the NASA administrator, that would be my plan. I mean, low Earth orbit's great to practice long-duration space missions, but if we're going to practice, you know, landing and being on another heavenly body, we've got to do it with our own moon first. Right. I mean, we haven't been there in 40 years, and we haven't been, we've been stuck in low Earth orbit since, since the 1970s with Skylab. Right. So, you know, let's see if we can actually still do this. And I think the moon is a great learning curve there to go ahead and make sure that we can still go off world and still do productive things. It's a great way to go ahead, test your equipment. If it works on the moon, let's head to Mars. And I think it'll be much better now that we're working with technology that's more advanced rather than something that is one-tenth of the computing power of your cell phone. <laughs> that's very true. Right. There's a lot of science ahead, I think, um, you know, we don't want to overlook the importance of what happens on the International Space Station. There's so many things that yeah, I just found a, uh, a little article that I saw today where they talk about taking an iPhone into a chemical sensor. An engineer has developed a little board that plugs in the, the bottom connector on the iPhone, and it senses, um, it has 16 nanosensors, and uh, I'm, I'm missing how many different types of gases it can detect. And Gene, was it, oh, no, it was the ISS tweet up where they had a uh, alert go off, I think, and the crew had to, uh, they had to break it. And it was a, uh, a simple, uh, probably dust, I think, is what I heard in a uh, smoke detector device. Wow. So there's, there's a lot of very small things that have to be tuned to, to be able to support, um, particularly out of orbit space flight and off world things. And I, there's probably more people at NASA concerned about the little things than, uh, than, the, than the big rockets where it all comes together. God bless those people, too. It's those little things that could, you know, something goes wrong with those little things. It's, you know, could be a disaster, a big disaster. So thank God for them, for them looking out for that stuff. Right. Even Apollo 12, which was almost 40 years ago, actually, um, there was that when it got hit with lightning during launch, there was an alarm that went off, and it was one lone person in Mission Control. And John one Aaron. Of the, yep, and one of the three astronauts on board that actually knew of a tiny little switch to throw that fixed everything. FCE to yep. yep. So it's those little things that make a difference. And poor Gordon and Conrad were going, what the devil is that? And you know, <laughs> Al is like, yeah, I know what that is, and boom, saves the day. 
that might be a very good lead-in for uh, the next deal we want to kick around there, Sawyer. Yeah, I'd say that's a perfect lead-in. While we're going to other planets and other bodies, let's skip over to Mars and to the Mars Exploration Rovers, specifically Spirit. At this point, Spirit, one of the Mars Exploration Rovers, launched a while ago, um, got stuck on Mars back in April of 2009. And since then, it's been stuck in this one spot named Troy. And finally, after some months of trying to figure out exactly how to get the rover out, the Free Spirit Campaign, as they called it, is going to attempt next week to try and pull Spirit out. What do you guys think? Can they do it? How are they going to do it? What do you think? I have to wonder if well, they shouldn't shouldn't talk to some uh, some Southerners that do the mud bogging stuff. I mean, I've seen guys... <laughs> I've seen guys do things with pickup trucks in, in four feet deep mud that, that is amazing. And I know it's not the same, but um, gosh, that's got to be scary. What do you do? What do you, not, what do you don't do? Yeah, and you know, I mean, the, the nearest, you can't just simply go ahead and call AAA for the tow truck either here. Um, you're you're kind of, you're, you're a long way from home here. And if this doesn't work, um, unfortunately, it looks like this is where spirit is going to stay. I'm hoping that they can get her free because uh, she's been doing some wonderful science. Uh, Spirit, both Spirit and Opportunity have been been just incredible machines. I mean, they they first arrived. What was it? Two thousand three. Two thousand four. Two thousand four. And um, they have been both delivering some wonderful science. I mean, they have, weren't supposed to last this long. Oh they were supposed no! Supposed to last ninety I mean, days. Supposed, yeah, ninety, 90 days. days. And you know, I remember Steve Squire saying, if he got that point, he he would consider you can die a happy man. I mean, we've really gotten our money's worth out of these out of these two machines, and it would be a darn shame to lose one of them at this point. But if that's what fate has settled, then so be it. Um, the problem, however, though, is I don't know how spirit, how long spirit's going to last because again, the, uh, the solar panels on board, they've been using sort of a, an interesting strategy. Uh, they've been sort of just sort of skirting these dust devils that sort of appear on Mars and they've been using them actually to go ahead and blow the dust off of the solar panels that are powering both of the, both, uh, craft. Now you're not going to be able to do that with spirit anymore if this fails. So now, her lifespan is going to be a little little questionable, unfortunately, if this does not work. But uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. I'm hoping that they're able able to uh, pull this off, seriously. I hope so, too. I hope they can actually get it unstuck from where it is. I mean, if not, it's not like it's in a bad spot, at least, because uh, the wheels, as they've been turning them and it's been churning up soft content, they've actually found the highest sulfur content measured on Mars right where it is, so... If it does get stuck, it's not a bad spot, but I really hope they can get it going again. And the plan that they have seems very complex, and they're talking about a lot of possible wheel slippage and uh, slipping downhill and everything, but we'll see what happens. And if it does get stuck, one other problem they've been experiencing is, as it gets older, Spirit is getting Alzheimer's pretty much, for lack of a better word. Yeah, she's had some uh, periods of amnesia, but uh, they've somehow been able to bring her back so again um i'm just going to go ahead and keep my fingers crossed on both of these things still even if if this is where spirit ends it's been a marvelous ride for that machine it really has been i mean again um these things arrived on site in 2004 it's what 2009 i mean we've gotten we've really gotten our money's worth out of out of, out of that particular machine we really have and uh 
I mean, it is, you know, kind of kind of sad, though. I'm, I'm looking at the New York Times or I'm sorry, not the L.A. Times article here from one of the uh, uh, rover operators, Ashley Stroop. Uh, she says that, quote, um, you know, you get a sort of a, quote, tremendous bond with the machine. And she's saying that she she has the equivalent. It's sort of like, uh, you know, as you send your children off to the world, um, we're we're very, you know, we're very hopeful, but we're concerned. So, you know, we'll just see how it all goes. Just a thought, you know, I'm I'm looking at a, uh, a website uh, for marsrovers.jpl.nasa.gov. And on that page, it's got pictures of 13 previous mission managers and four current mission managers. And, and you know, those are the mission managers. That's not, uh, that's not the numbers of people that have been involved in that program over the years. And, uh, you know, I have no doubt they got the best and the brightest that are, that are working on it and people that have probably, uh, you know, touched base back with the, the office, you know, that may have left and, and working in other areas now and said, hey, well, what about, uh, what about this? Maybe there's some other things. So I'm sure they're getting input and this is their best, uh, best chance of success. I'm wishing them all the best, really. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just pulling for them. I think we all are at this point. Oh, yeah. All right, so while we're talking about rooting for something, many people were rooting for success of Ares 1X. Many people were rooting for failure of Ares 1X. And we'll ask for your opinion on whether you think it was a success or a failure, because it did go up. At the same time, it pretty much macerated a bunch of Pad 39B, and it also had only one and a half of its parachutes deployed correctly. So success, failure, what do you think? This is why they call them test flights. It, it, the, the craft launched wonderfully. Unfortunately, you're absolutely correct. It's, I think one chute failed to deploy completely. The other one just got ripped up during uh, the entry phase. And there was a little interesting little incident that happened during separation, too, that kind of you know, had a bunch of people scratching their heads. I think the uh, dummy upper stage may have actually tapped the first stage as the two... Um, as the two separated, so that's something too that you know, nobody really anticipated. But um, this is why they call them test flights. Uh, you learn from from the mistakes and and you press on and you try to correct them. Is was Ares One X a, a success? Yeah, it got off the ground. The only the only thing everybody was worried about really was the weather. I mean, the machine performed at least on the launch. It performed flawlessly. Uh, we also got a little bit of a of an education about a uh, certain little electrical effect in the weather. The, the, what was it? The tribal electrification. Yep, the favorite uh, word now. The oh, space yeah. peep community. And oh, please, somebody. I forget. Was it? Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was now. Actually, put out T-shirts. Yes, <laughs> I've seen the tribal electrification T-shirts, and I'm really considering getting one. Yeah, I am too, actually. So we've learned a little bit about that, but uh, uh, again, um, to just you know go forward, this is why again they call them test flights. Not everything worked wonderfully, but the thing got off the ground. So in that respect, yeah, it was a it was a it was a success. Gina, Mark, what do you guys think? Well, I was impressed. Unfortunately, I was down with the flu when it actually launched and was asleep, but. Seeing the launch afterwards, I was impressed by the new launch trajectory it took because as soon as it lifted off, it seemed to also lift away sideways from the pad to minimize any sort of pad damage. And that was sort of a new 
angle of, of launch that uh, NASA's programmed into this rocket. And I thought that was pretty cool. I don't think people realize how much damage a launch pad takes, obviously, after a liftoff. But, um, you know, if that's something that can work and minimize damage and expense and complete retrofitting every time after a launch, then that's great. Right. I don't know exactly how well it did because seeing pictures of the pad, a lot of things were definitely burned. And I also got to see the replay only, not live. One mm-hmm. thing that I really noticed on the replay on YouTube was, like Jean was mentioning with the separation, that's exactly where they cut off the video. Because I don't know, NASA was saying that that was supposed to happen, but I really don't think it was the way that it separated and maybe tapped. Because mm-hmm. they cut the video right at separation. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it almost looked like like, like the, the first stage may have tapped the dummy second stage I'm not after separation. I'm not sure. That's still, I haven't seen any news about either yay or nay on that one. That's something maybe I'll, I'll hopefully have the opportunity to ask John Cowart later uh, on Sunday. But um, I'm just hoping that uh, folks have learned something from, from launching Ares 1X. But again, I still maintain it was a success because, again, it is a test flight. It got off the ground. There. Done. You know, it shut up its detractors. I think one of the things that's, uh, that was worthwhile, they were concerned about um, what I read about. They called it pogoing or thrust oscillation. And I don't think that they saw that, that they only had, uh, I believe the, the initial statements was three instances where some special <coughs> features of the rocket, some additional thrust uh, engines. I can't remember the proper term for them, but, but they only operated three times. And, you know, they were prepared for them to cycle as many as over 30 times, I think. And they only had three cycles on them. So, you know, the rocket flew good, apparently, you know, and that's wonderful because that was the, that was the thing that was scary as to if they had vibration, could they do a, a range uh, destruct order on it? You know, they were concerned that that wouldn't even work. And, you know, they, they proved proved a good bit with a very different rocket than what we used to. The other thing, too, and I failed to mention this earlier um, there was still talk of the roll and torque issues. Like there were some detractors that were saying that this design isn't even going to work because it'll just ram right into the the gantry before it le- leaves the pad. Well, I guess that we didn't see any roll or torque issues at all. So um, that's all. That's you know that shut a whole bunch of other people up right there. Definitely. Now, one interesting thing is uh, this one again. It was only just for mainly the first stage engine, to see if that would work, and if a crew pretty much would be able to survive the vibrations and everything of it as well. Mm-hmm. The next test is supposed to be with, I believe, a couple more stages up there? Yeah, Ares 1Y, which I don't think is going to happen, at least not quite yet. Um, they wanted to have the, the J2X engine on the, uh, on, on the second stage, and I don't think it's going to be ready yet, and that's might be the reason why they've delayed uh, Ares 1Y on that. So, but I think they're 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 thinking about all right. If we can't do do this the way we wanted to do it, what can we do and still get some valuable information? So I think they're they're just going to drop back and punt and figure out what steps are uh, are being looked at. And uh, that's another thing I think we're probably going to learn again on during discussion on Sunday. And you'll never guess what some of the reason for that is, according to an article in Aviation Week. It's the cost-constrained environment that we've been in. Ah. Uh, they uh, cannot get the engine to the vehicle soon enough. Ah, uh, yes. Here we go again. Ah, uh, sure. money. 
NASA uh, needs uh, NASA yeah. needs a budget they can count on so so badly we, to to do the things that they want to do that they've talked about and planned. Don't get me started. All we need is you know again three billion dollars seems to be a lot, but if you look at how much money Congress and and the White House have been throwing at you know other assets or mm-hmm. other other things that. We're never going to get our money back on boys and girls. At least, you know, this this one is is a is a three billion dollar investment that we're actually going to see a return on investment with. It's just it's insane to me that we've spent all this money in uh, in other environments, but yet our our space program is literally, you know, on the corner with a tin can going, you know, please alms for the uh, alms for space. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And there's so many things that NASA's had to, to face over the years where they plan one thing and then their budget gets cut. And so they have to make do with less and less and less. And, you know, for the for the premier science, for the premier space program in the world, that's that's a shame. It's, it's a, embarrassing. It's a high-end shame. Oh, it is. Now, if I'm correct, Ares 1, <coughs> it's going to be a two-part series of Ares 1 and Ares 5. Ares 1 is for crew, and Ares 5 is for uh, carrying things into space, correct? That's correct. The reason why, if I recall, is that the Columbia Accident Investigation Board said that you could not no longer carry cargo and crew in the same vehicle. And NASA took that to mean literally. So um, you have... You know the uh, the Orion that will will be launched through Ares One, and the lander will be launched on Ares Five. If we if or the heavy lifter, whatever whatever payload we're going to carry up and 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 use, will be launched on Ares Five. All right, but Ares One is going to be for future astronauts. And if I'm correct, Gina, you yep. recently had a chance to meet some past and current astronauts. Am I correct? I certainly did. Yay! <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, this past Saturday. I believe that was, what, November 7th. I was at Kennedy Space Center for an Astronaut Scholarship Foundation fundraiser. Uh, It's an (coughs) annual astronaut auction, memorabilia auction and autograph show. And uh, they had quite a lineup on the Friday. They actually had a lunch with Apollo 13 crew, Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell. Saturday, they had the astronaut autograph show all day. And Sunday, the show continued. During the weekend, they had memorabilia there for, they had a silent auction. You could go put a bid on all kinds of things, um, flown flight manuals or memorabilia from the astronauts' personal collections. On the Saturday evening, they had a dinner off-site from Kennedy Space Center, and Neil Armstrong was there. And um, it, it was just an impressive gathering of astronauts. Out of the 12 men that walked on the moon, Nine are still alive. Six of them were at the show on Saturday. Wow. And when I arrived, you know, I just turned my head and there's Buzz Aldrin coming out of the bathroom. You know, push the five-year-old up in front of him, of course, you know, (laughs) shakes his hand and, hi, Buzz. And, hey, I was at your lecture this summer at the, you know, Air and Space Museum for the 40th anniversary. Oh, I was more interested in talking to my son, which that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I, I entered the space where the astronauts were all seated, and they were sort of seated by who they had flown with. And, um, you know, I, I turned around, and, and there's Dave Scott 
first man to drive on the moon, just kind of sitting there twiddling his thumbs. <laughs> I, it was just, it was unbelievable, really. I mean, you had as much access and as much time. And if you had questions or wanted to say hello to them, even if you weren't, you know, paying for them to sign something, they would have talked to you all day. And I saw this guy walk around and, you know, boy, I mean, I had photographs that they were signing, but I'm really going to get my act together for the next time. I, I was talking to this one other collector. He had a huge moon globe with him. And he had each of the Apollo astronauts signing where they had landed. And I was like totally blown away by this. Some other guy had some huge 3D um, model, but this was a huge piece of poster board and it was 3D of the Valley of Taurus Littrell. And he had Gene Cernan sign it in his landing spot. It was just crazy. And, um, you know, I, I talked to so many of them and I can give you a rundown of who was there and I apologize for anyone that I miss. But in addition to astronauts, there was Jerry Griffith, who was a um, famous Apollo flight director. Gunther Vent was there, the pad leader from Mercury through Apollo. Uh, that's pad Führer. Yep, the pad Führer. <laughs> uh, Dio Harrer, the famous nurse to the astronauts, oh especially wow. the Mercury astronauts. In addition to astronauts, uh, they had three, this is funny, they had three actors from Star Trek The Next Generation, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, who was uh, Commander Worf, and um, I'm forgetting her name, but she Marina, was... Marina uh, Sirtis. That's who. Mar yeah. I saw, I saw the picture with uh, Robert Perlman and her. And you know what? Nobody was at their table. Oh, really? No, no one. Really? I mean, they got a few people that kind of, and I kind of felt bad. Like, and I watched that show, but, you know, honestly, if Patrick Stewart was up there, I'd be all over him. But, you know, <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of the women would be. I, I didn't, I don't know why I felt weird going up to the TV stars, yet the, you know, the man that walked on the moon, I had no problem with. But, you know, it was just strange. My husband actually had a conversation with LeVar Burton. And he said to LeVar Burton, you know, I've never watched, my husband's not a Trekkie, I've never watched an episode of Star Trek, but I totally respect what you've done with children's literacy because, you know, he had the show Reading Rainbow that was on for forever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you know, he said something else to LeVar Burton about, boy, you guys would be an upstage today, huh? And he was like, yeah, totally. But LeVar Burton, that evening at the um, gala dinner, actually introduced Charlie Bolden to the dinner of participants and audience. So that was cool. By the way, how but, many people were there? Uh, at the show, I was probably in the room with probably no more than 80 to 100 people at the time. And I'd say that was probably at the most crowded. There probably were, I was there for probably three hours and um, there were probably times where there was 40 people in the room. I'm just thinking all that history in one room. Wow. It was incredible. I mean, Scott Carpenter was there. Let's see. I'm just trying to think geographically around the room. Scott Carpenter was there, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, uh, Albine, and Dick Gordon, Skylab astronaut Ed Gibson, um, shuttle astronauts Hank Hartsfeld, Hoot Gibson, who is, of course, married to uh, shuttle astronaut Rhea Sudden, Rusty Schweikert was there, General Tom Stafford, Gene Cernan, uh, Will Charlie Duke, Ed Mitchell, Al Warden, Dave Scott. Also sitting with Tom Stafford was fellow Apollo Soyuz test program astronaut Vance Brand. Also got a chance to talk to him for a while. And also Skylab astronaut Owen Garriott was there seated near Ed Gibson. 
cool. And if I'm correct, he was the father of private astronaut or sorry, spaceflight participant, technically Richard Gary, right? That's correct. Yes, he is. All right, very cool. Yeah, it was really, it was really incredible. Really Buzz incredible. Was there also right? What's that? Oh, Buzz Aldrin, of course. Yep, Bob Springer, shuttle astronaut. Tom Jones, shuttle astronaut. Wow, that is an all-star crew right there. Tell me about it. Gina, so, yeah. so um, the proceeds um, went to the uh, the Scholarship Foundation. What is what is the, the Scholarship Foundation all about? You'll just... Oh, okay. Well, the Astronaut Scholarship Foundation was founded by the original Mercury 7 astronauts, or actually by the time it was founded, it was the six astronauts and Deke Slayton's wife um, who stepped in for him at the time. And they they founded you know, the Astronaut Hall of Fame, actually, as well. But sort of as an offshoot of that, the Scholarship Foundation was founded. And they it is an amazing prize to win this scholarship. They give away, I believe it's either 18 or 19 scholarships a year that are $10,000 each. Wow. And they basically how it works is... There's 18 or 19 schools that they work with. So one student from each of the schools on the list, um, and I know that I, I couldn't list all of them, but I think uh, the University of Central Florida is one of them. Some big, like Big Ten schools. I mean, they have a website, astronautscholarship.org, and you can go and look. But 18 or 19 of these schools, so one student from each school gets this prize. And in addition to winning I mean, $10,000, that's a lot of money for a scholarship, a private scholarship. It's based on, I think they have to be a junior or a senior and undergraduate or a grad student, and they have to be working on some sort of research project that is in, it doesn't have to be the planetary sciences necessarily, but in uh, the hard sciences. And in addition to winning, an actual astronaut will go to the college and present the check to the student. In May, every May, every first Saturday in May, because that is the day of Alan Shepard's flight, the first Saturday of May, back in 1961, they have a Hall of Fame um, induction for the new class of astronauts that are inducted into the Hall of Fame. And they have a big fundraiser. I've been to it in 2007 and 2008. They have a big gala dinner, can, you know, pay for the big VIP tickets to get to the reception earlier with all the astronauts. And all of the astronaut recipients, or I'm sorry, the student scholarship recipients are there that evening. And um, they get introduced, and it's a, it's really a, a very nice affair. It's a big deal. You know, uh, I've met so many astronauts at that event both times. And earlier than that, I believe it was uh, November 06 was the 40th anniversary of Gemini 12, and I attended that and met that night for the first time Buzz Aldrin and Jim Lovell. And I probably had a five-minute conversation with each of them that night. That was an incredible evening because they did a panel, the two of them, for probably 30 or 40 minutes where they talked about the mission and things that went on, the launch, you know, what it meant that the Gemini program was wrapping up before Apollo and what happened on board and just phenomenal evening. So I've had some very special experiences meeting, talking to these guys, great photos with a lot of them just by going to these events. And, you know, the scholarship is, um, if you, you can go to their website, astronautscholarship.org, but Tom Hanks, LeVar Burton are on the board of directors. Jim Lovell, I believe is the chairman. I'm going to say this wrong. Emiratus and Al Warden command module pilot of Apollo 15 
he he lives, I believe, right near the Space Center in Florida, and he is very active. He's always the MC at most of their events, and he basically, you know, is sort of the face of the organization currently. So, but, I mean, it, it's next year. They already have their dates. It's November 6th and 7th at Kennedy Space Center. But, um, you know, they usually do a big event in May and then this event in November. You know, it's a it's a great cause. I mean, these students are highly deserving of any assistance they can get to, you know, reach their goals of what they're trying to attempt. So, hey, Gina, is there a for, for folks who just want to go ahead and write a check um, or or just uh, maybe do something online to contribute. Is there a oh, website running around? Or? Yeah, it's the astronautscholarship.org. All right, I'll also post that in the information. So when you go to download this wherever it is, the link to that will also be in that. All right, and again, that's a great cause, and anybody that wishes to donate or learn more about it, it sounds like a great cause. Yeah, Gina, it sounds like you also had a had quite an experience. I'm quite envious. All that all that history and all those those amazing personalities in one room. I'm just I'm stunned. Yeah, my wow. son, my son talked to Buzz Aldrin. He oh, talked to wow. Al Bean, his hero. He talked to Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, Scott Carpenter, Ed Mitchell, Scott uh, Dave Scott. Charlie Duke and Gene Cernan. I mean, six guys that walked on the moon. All of those guys have been to the moon. But yeah, I got pictures with my son and all of those guys. The funny, Al, Al Bean's sort of a hero of mine too. I have most of his. I have some of his work here I'm in the room I'm in. Um, so I collect some of his work. But uh, yeah, he's always been a, a big hero of mine as well. So I'm, he's he's got good tastes. And Gene, you said you were envious of Gina for that. Yeah, I am actually. Well, I must say I am very envious of you. You have been to two tweet-ups, and you are on your way to your third, which is the STS-129 tweet-up at the Kennedy Space Center for the launch of the Space Shuttle Atlantis. Yeah, Lucky. yeah that's correct. We're, we're going to be flying out to Orlando tomorrow. Um, hoping to touch base with you there, Mark, um, at least on, uh, on launch day. Yep, I plan to be there. I'm on the list. All right, great, excellent. Um, the uh, they've got a pretty good uh, NASA's got a very good uh, schedule packed for us um, for all the attendees on this. Um, on Sunday, we have a, a program that's going to be starting at eight o'clock in the morning at uh, at uh, KSC, and uh, with uh, I believe uh, PAO uh, John Yembrick uh, doing the, uh, the the honors there. About eight. 10, John Cowart, who is the Ares X-1 Deputy Mission Manager, is scheduled to uh, do a presentation. After that, um, uh, Wayne Hale, who is the uh, Strategic Program Planning Manager and probably very familiar. If you folks have uh, been reading his blog, I suggest you do it. Um, it's, a, it's an education just reading that. In fact, he wrote an essay that uh, when I got into a supervisory position that I kind of sort of gave to uh, everybody in my on my team. It, it's basically explaining how management isn't, you know, they're, they're not the they're, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Sometimes it's uh, it's it's quite a read. Mike Massimino from STS-125 is also going to be doing a presentation. Um, also, STS-109, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to miss miss that that mission up there. Um, he'll be doing a presentation on the uh, STS-129 uh, crew. Um, for those of you who haven't been following this, um, you may want to go ahead and check out YouTube. 
just type in STS-129 and see what you come up with, because Mike's been following the uh, STS-129 crew around, and some of that, some of those videos are quite entertaining. It's a really, really a parting of the, the sea, in a way, and showing how really it, what the intricacies of preparing for, for a mission is. And it's not just following the astronauts, either. It's following the support, some of the support crew, too. So it's 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 quite an education. Veronica McGregor is also scheduled to speak. She's the uh, lead of uh, public affairs at uh, NASA's uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. After which, Miles um, O'Brien, who is um, known to everyone as a former CNN anchor, now doing stuff for uh, what is it, uh, Space Flight Now, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And uh, I believe you know CNN's loss is uh, is uh, Space Flight Now's gain because if if uh, folks have been watching any of the coverage that. Uh, Miles has been doing for the launch for uh, shuttle launches. You know, if you're not watching it, then watch it because it's it's he does an incredible job. I must say though, I've been watching some of it, but I am completely devoted when it comes to shuttle launches to spacevidcast.com. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Just throwing a plug it's in not there. Not a bad place either, by the way, folks. And then after that, we're going to go ahead and uh, park for lunch for a little bit, and then. Uh, do a uh, interesting little little tour of the Kennedy Space Center. I don't know exactly what they have in mind, but uh, we'll soon find out, I guess. And then the the next day, we're we're to meet at uh, uh, which is which is launch day for STS-129. We're to meet at uh, at about 8:30 at a designated parking uh, parking uh, area, and then we're going to be taken out to the press site with that uh, large clock over there, and uh, that's going to be our our vantage point for. Uh, for the launch of STS-129, so I'm I'm quite excited about this because this is essentially the first shuttle launch I've ever seen, so um, at least live or in person, and um, I'm quite quite excited about it. So uh, it it should be a, a great event. I'm going to be staying with some great people. I'll also try to do some uh, try to talk to some folks and find out what you know why they're they're so interested in 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 space and what what uh, what's brought them here. So it should be kind of neat. Mark, you've got something similar planned, don't you? Oh, sure do. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about, you've been to a couple tweet-ups before. Yes, sir. This will be the first one for me. So this will be the first chance where, other than talking to people that I work with and family and friends in general that give you a blank look when you talk about (laughs) science and space and shuttle, and most of the time it's, there's a shuttle launch? When? Yeah, we're I mean, that's... Be around people that are just keyed into it and getting, you know, <laughs> their their springs are getting wound tighter and tighter the closer we get to to uh, to launch time. So that's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that because I think it's a wonderful opportunity with the mm-hmm. the social media that we've got with Twitter and other things to to find people that have the interest that we do. And Gina, hearing what you told us about from uh, meeting the astronauts and that to me is just phenomenal and anybody that that didn't know that and hears about it you know i bet they'll be marking their calendar and looking forward to some things and and a tweet up too is uh, something to to watch for now that i never even knew about a couple months ago i'm still very appreciative of the fact that nasa is allowing folks that are interested in uh in space to go ahead and and literally become almost a part of the program to make it, they're they're really really trying to make it make make you feel like you've got skin in the game here. So um, I mean we we don't do 
the magic that these folks do on a day-to-day basis, but we try to go ahead and support them the best we can. And I think this is this is such a neat way to go ahead and and allow us to 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 you know sort of feel like we're for a while at least we're we're a part of this. So it'll be fun. I really wish I could go, but I'm putting it out there right now on recording on record. Anybody out there listening from NASA, please put it out there. Tweet up in New York City. Anytime you get a tweet up going in New York, I will be there. <laughs> Till then, I will be sitting at home watching the tweet stream going, I am very envious. <laughs> but DC's not that bad of a ride. It, it's just much easier from New York from here. <laughs> at least from Joyzy, it's a lot easier. Yes, very true. Very, very true. It's only about a four-hour ride from you know my, my place in, in Mine Hill, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm northern Jersey, so it's a little longer. But um, again, you know, again, hats off to NASA for, for, for doing this stuff. And Mark, I can't wait to meet you. I'm, I'm serious. So um, I'm, I'm really that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Some of the folks that I've talked to, you know, quote, talk, close quote on Twitter, uh, you get to be very good friends with them. And um, it's, it's also an opportunity to meet these folks and, and you know, network and uh really really see what we can do to to bolster the program the best we can so um i'm i'm really looking forward to meeting you you sir there mark and and uh meeting others that are that are like-minded so it's going to be neat same here gene it's I'm uh serious, buddy. it's it's a it's a fun opportunity and it hats off to nasa because uh you know part of part of nasa's nasa's world is that the is public affairs and the fact that they're doing this for you know by and large regular folks i looked at the list of people on the uh tweet up list and i think there's an incredible variety that we won't appreciate until we till we get to talk to some of them and uh, you know and that's I think that's breaking new ground because it's not just journalists. It's not just government officials. It's not just contractors and contractors' representatives. It's it's some regular folks that, uh, you know, I hope we can make an impact and do some good. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. It, it is, it's just regular folks. It kind of makes me feel there may be, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, and this time it's not an oncoming train for NASA. <laughs> I mean it. That's the, way to, that's the way to look for it. Yep. All right, and I'd say with that, I believe we've covered everything, correct? I think so there, Sawyer. All right, and while we're talking about diversity of people, we'd like to thank the diversity of people out there in listener land, wherever you may be, for downloading our podcast continually and listening to it. It's been an amazing success. I'm surprised at the numbers of downloads that we're getting from the different locations all over the world. So thank you for making this as popular as it is. And again, we have any comments on anything that you've listened to and you were like, oh, man, or you're shouting out to your computer screen or your iPod saying, I agree or I disagree, go ahead and send that to us in either an email or a very short MP3 recording. You can send it to our email address, which is spacetweeppodcast, that's S-P-A-C-E-T-W-E-E-P podcast at gmail.com. So we definitely want to hear from you about that. And we ourselves, not just individually... We as a group are finally on Twitter. So if you want, you can follow the Talking Space podcast at at Talking Space. So you can go ahead and follow us there and get all the information on who's going to be on the show if we have any guests and exactly when we're putting out new episodes. So, Gene, thank you for coming and welcome back. Thank you, sir. It's good to be back here and good to be back with all, all of you folks. Seriously, I missed you guys. Gina, thank you again for showing up and really thank you for sharing the information on that scholarship. It sounds really great. 
Oh, my pleasure. And Mark, as always, thank you for coming on and uh, giving everything you got. Glad to, Sawyer. And uh, Gina, you're going to be our uh, official vacation planner because, man, that was a vacation and a half. I Wow. I was, yes. I was, I was watching what was going on and thinking... Oh, wow. I would love to do that. So, Well, you both need to promise me that you will ride the shuttle launch experience. Oh, it is phenomenal. You guys it's must awesome. ride it. Yes, ma'am, it I awesome. will. Yes, okay. I'm going to try it, too. It is, it, it's great. And you will both also be blown away by who your host is in the shuttle launch experience. Yeah, I heard oh, about yes. that. <laughs> and, he, and this was obviously before he was NASA administrator, and Charlie Bolden does a phenomenal job. You walk away like, is he an astronaut or a TV personality? Oh, yeah. I just remembered that that was Charlie Bolden that did that. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, he's sorry if we blew it for anybody. I'll let you, I'll let you know, Gina, seriously. That, but, yeah, we've, we've, got, uh, we've be- definitely got uh, plans to do that. Okay. All right, definitely. Once again, can't wait thank- to hear about it. I well, can't wait to hear. You'll know about it next week. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'll be reading it. Great. So again, thank you for listening, and as always, have a great day, evening, night, morning, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are.